Welcome to Test Rack Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Test Rack's mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force Logistics Enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. Tesseract sat down with Ms. Lauren Knausenberger, the Chief Information Officer of the Department of the Air Force. That means she oversees information strategy between the Air Force and the Space Force. We're not only going to talk about the pillars of her strategy, but also some fun stories as well about Elon Musk, her flight in a U-2. And then we wrap up the conversation talking about how we can leverage talent in the information and software space. And remember that viral post about fix our computers? Yeah, we talked about that too. All right, here we go. And you bring, I mean, a wealth uh, of experience. I mean, you, you started your career yeah, at the NSA, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have a pretty eclectic background. Um, so my NSA time was actually at 17. Uh, so imagine being a 17-year-old high school student and taking an NSA poly. <laughs> um, and, and I was a pretty good high school student. There were a couple of questions they asked me. I was like, uh, I have no idea what that is that you just asked me if I did, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so pretty, pretty, pretty entertaining. Uh, maybe not so much at the time, but in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the NSA found me as a high school student. Um, they, they did some scouting through test scores mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. And so uh, got pulled into their gifted and talented program. Um, had a really fun time running around NSA, uh, solving some fun problems for about two years. And uh, yeah, then went to undergrad, did a little work on the finance side, got pulled back into the intelligence community, had a blast, um, actually worked on one of the projects that was the the first agile implementation for CIA. Um, got to have some fun adventures on, on the operational side a little bit too, which um, was definitely, you know, one of also another just really fun time in my career. Um, went to Wharton Business School and uh, during and post Wharton Business School, uh, got pulled into a lot of different investment activities, really loved it. Um, every dinner conversation was about, hey, what are we investing in? And we kind of decided, hey, let's do this together. Mm-hmm. And about the same time, I also joined NextGen Angels, which later was acquired by Brown Advisory uh, because people were like, hey, these kids, kids being high net worth investors under 40, that was the kind of the criteria for next gen angels are looking at investments in a different way. They're crowdsourcing the ideas. They're crowdsourcing uh, the assessment. You know, they're they're just killing it with their valuations. Um, and so Brown Advisory um, brought next gen angels and made it a real fund. So that was just a lot of fun and uh, did some early stage uh, investing in graphene. You know, I'm just very random things, um, but it's it's all been awesome. And then uh, also uh, founded uh, founded a company, helped found a few more. Um, but uh, yeah, about the time that I met uh, the Air Force captain, um, I was also starting to feel a little bit of an itch of of missing that mission and feeling um, feeling the direct impact of serving my country every day. And so I think um, I think it, I don't know maybe it was meant to be, but but this incredibly enticing, awesome problem set showed up at a time that I was really missing the mission, um, and just things aligned to pull me in. Mm-hmm. So and it's been it's been largely a blast. <laughs> yeah, that that's fantastic. Uh, and also sidebar, I need to hear about your flight in the U two. <laughs> I, I I I think yeah. Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was 
it was pretty awesome. I went in August and uh, yeah, did the whole spacesuit thing. Um, that That's pretty wild. Um, being able to maneuver and um, kind of control airflow in the suit, airflow in the suit. It's, it's actually pretty amazing how this technology built a really long time ago. I think that I think that program started in '55, mm-hmm. uh, which is the year my father was born. By the way, <laughs> um, it's still running today, and and so like the redundancy in those systems, I was I was struck by. Although I can tell you three ways to exit the U two uh, while you're in the air. I can tell you three ways that your parachute could kill you on the way down if you do. <laughs> um, luckily, my pilot and I we stayed in the aircraft until it landed. That was that was good. That was the intent. Um, but uh, the view up there is pretty incredible. Uh, the U-2 pilots, uh, they were a lot of fun. They care a lot about their mission. Um, you know, they're the best of the best and, and they love their job. And, and I understand, you know, a lot of them, you know, I'd ask what they like most about their job. And, you know, they, they do feel like they're the only person in the world up there, you know, mm. unless they got me on their microphone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on their headset. So, um, but it was... Uh, it, it was a pretty incredible experience, and I was I was incredibly thankful to have the opportunity. Uh, Colonel Heather Fox out there um, made that happen, and uh, and and yeah, I just I can't say enough. You know, when we look at uh, innovation in the Air Force, when we look at agility, when we look at constantly reinventing things, the U two has constantly reinvented itself since fifty five. You know, they have they have adjusted parts of the aircraft to take care of pilot health concerns. We've run Kubernetes on a U-2. We have pushed software in flight on a U-2. Oh, wow. Um, you know, a few years ago, I guess somebody was like, oh, what are we doing? We're still doing films. You know, I, I asked about that, too. And, you know, and I got a pretty good laugh. I think they're, you know, they started out all film. Now, you know, it's like less than 1%. You know, mm-hmm. they're just doing pretty incredible things constantly with that platform. And. And whenever somebody wants to test something, they're always the first ones to be like, want to test it on the U2? Let's go. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's just awesome. So like huge, huge kudos to them. I was so excited to be part of that mission. Yeah, very cool. And, and speaking of mission and, and speaking of you being a missionary to, you know, uh, to the Air Force and uh, being inspired to get after this problem set, you know, it's a crazy world right now, right? And, you know, when we look at our competitors like China, like Russia, and we see their emphasis on information strategy. But I also think it's interesting looking at the conflict right now in Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, you want to talk a little bit about how um, uh, Elon Musk has delivered uh, capabilities? To s- someone asked him, hey, were, were your Starlink terminals getting jammed? And Elon said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, they were jammed yesterday. So we pushed software and fixed it. Um, that type of agility uh, is pretty well unheard of um, in the IT and software side of our mission, which is really unfortunate because that's exactly where that agility should be. Um, we are incredibly uh, operationally agile. We have really smart people. There are things that that we can do that no one else on the planet can do. Um, but when it when it comes to just pushing software and doing the things that everyone else finds easy, we, we do make it hard. But that is a really hard challenge. Um, and for a commercial company to that quickly during wartime against a near peer adversary demonstrate that level of agility, I think that has to be a, a really huge wake up call for us. Um, and, and I will tell you, in a, in a lot of the rooms that I'm in, we're discussing whether 
you know, is commercial technology ready for military use cases? And there are many reasons why people ask that question, and, and we should ask that question. Um, but usually people say, well, it's not as secure as we are. And Starlink's a relatively new technology. Um, you know, we are still testing different things with encryption. Uh, we have talked about jamming. We have talked about resilience. Um, and of course, anything, anytime anything goes wrong in, you know, early stage of experiments, people will remember that and, and bring it back. But with that particular technology, you know, I think recently I made a prediction, hey, in two years, it will surpass us. It may be less than a year with this Russia conflict because, um, you know, those SpaceX engineers have completely pivoted. And right now they're 100 percent focused on cyber resilience. They're they're focused on anti-jamming. They're making sure that that signal is uh, just really solid. And, and I think with a network like that, um, it, it's pretty hard to take down the global Internet. It's pretty hard to take out all of the low Earth orbit. And anyone that does that, that is a superpower, hurts themselves, too. Mm-hmm. So we have to really think about when we're saying, oh, commercial, they're just not there yet. Um, well, who's going to get there first? Where's the puck going? Are they going to take this incredible capability and make it more secure? Or are we going to develop a capability from scratch that surpasses it? How long will that take? How long will it take for us to upskill our talent? And it's and actually, you know, I say upskill our talent. It's not we have incredible talent, but we do have to give people the chance to practice on modern technology. And so we have incredible talent. We have incredible snipers, but we give them a butter knife every day to practice with, you know, and we should be giving them a sniper rifle. And so the more that we give people the chance to practice by giving them good technology, awesome technology, war fighting, winning technology, I think we have the talent, but we have to give them access to that technology. They have to be operating that. They have to practice it. We have to practice agility. And I think we'll be talking about agility later in the in the program, but um, but that's you know those are the things that I think about when I when I hear Elon tweet and and I was I was proud mm-hmm. yeah but actually you know what I got I got to tell you another story you know <laughs> I, I I'm full of stories but um, I had a personal experience with the innovation of Tesla early on um, so so I was a, a Tesla OG um, I I got a Model S delivered in uh, February of 2013 um, which by the way was the same weekend I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, so it took nine months for the Tesla to arrive, and then nine months later, you know, first child. She still calls the ca- the uh, the car her big brother. Um, but we went on this road trip actually with a bunch of other uh, Tesla fans, and uh, Elon was actually live tweeting the journey because uh, there was a New York Times reporter that ran out of juice on the side of the road. There was this whole thing about you know battery anxiety. So we went to basically show that this guy was an idiot. You know that that you have to try to run out of battery. So we're on this road trip, lots of publicity. We get to the first supercharger, we plug in. We've never supercharged before and nothing happens. So we go to the next supercharger and nothing happens. So we call Tesla on a Saturday and uh, the engineers remote into the car and they're like, oh, you had a hardware failure on uh, on your supercharger port. And they're like, well, we can either send a flatbed out to get your car or if you give us about 30 minutes, we can write some software, push it to your car to override the hardware failure you can finish your road trip, and whenever you're back, we'll fix the hardware problem. <laughs> so incredible. we're like, okay, sounds good. 30 minutes later, they pushed the software. We were in business. Can you imagine if anything happened to any other car? You know, I would have been flatbedding it from, I think I was in Philadelphia at the time, something like that, um, or, or Delaware. So it, it's just incredible, the mindset um, 
of of both Tesla and of uh, SpaceX, and even companies like you know like Google and Amazon, Microsoft. Um, the whole mindset is different. They practice agility every day. They will go out of business if they don't practice agility better than anyone else. And I don't think we have fully internalized that yet in our organization. But mm. you know, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I love how your your Tesla story ties into what we do. You know, within the A four, right? You know, maintenance, logistics. You know, how do we? It's like how do we deliver those capabilities directly? You know, to our airmen, to the aircraft. Uh, yeah. How do we? How do we leverage, you know, software um, to um, make us more agile as a force? Um, but looking at the innovation ecosystem of the Air Force and the software factories that are popping up, probably the most popular one being uh, being Kessel Run. How do we take that similar, like, you know, model and apply it to not just logistics, but the rest of the Department of the Air Force? Because I mean, you're also responsible not just for, you know, the Air Force, but the Space Force as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so first, I love how you brought it back to maintenance. Um, it'd be pretty cool if, you know, I flew my F-35. You know, one day I'll get one of those. But, <laughs> um, you know, fly your F-35 to a new base that we've never been to before, and and be able to to call someone on a Saturday and say, oh, I can't get my Alice data to download. And someone's like, I got you in five minutes. I'll push you a software, you know, release and we'll be good to go. Um, I know there are a lot of maintainers that would love to see that day. So, um, and lots, lots of good folks, of course, working, working that problem. Um, but in general, I, I think that we're, we're pretty good at solving different types of problems. Um, you know, Kessel Run focused on the AOC uh, problem set. Um, love that you guys are focused on logistics and maintenance problems that you have best been focused on business writ large. Um, you have uh, Space Camp focused on space problems. So we have groups of airmen that are coming together to solve problems in new ways, largely leveraging agile processes, leveraging DevSecOps, um, basically leveraging everything that they can bring to the table to solve problems in new ways, bringing in new companies that have never done business with the Department of Defense. All of that is awesomeness. Um, Really, subject matter expertise is the only thing that should be particularly different, you know, between an AOC and a logistics and maintenance um, software organization. Um, and really, it comes down to being able to do really good product management and and user center design and um, bringing in just the understanding of a different set of users and what they truly need. Um, I think the the harder problem and why it why it's still kind of, uh, I guess, tough to solve these problems at scale and why we do continue to have uh, more software organizations kind of stand up their own processes and, and solve different parts of the problem is that we never truly fixed our infrastructure as the underlying point. And so I often joke, you know, so Platform One can deploy 40 times a day, which is super impressive in the Department of Defense. Um, when I first arrived on scene, I think we were deploying once every five years, maybe once a year if you were really, really innovative. So 40 times a day is really impressive. But, you know, if you look at Facebook, if you look at Amazon, I mean, they're deploying in excess of a thousand times a day. And so I always say, well, try to do that on our infrastructure, which, you know, it should not be something that we're proud of. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and it's something that, that I internalize as CIO. How do we fix this? And it is, it is a really hard problem. And, and Kessel Run, I think something that slowed them down a little bit is they did not have consistent global infrastructure. So they solved some really incredible problems in Qatar, but they then 
had to fix the infrastructure problem all the way down. And the enterprise just wasn't there yet. So then you have commanders in USAFI and PACAP saying, well, where's my software solution? You solved it in Qatar. Come on, it's software. Like, can't you deploy it here? But then we have to still solve the whole stack problem in production. And so um, we have a couple of efforts that actually I, I have confidence in. Um, we still have to, we've gotten some money aligned in, in 23 and 24, but the things that we're doing with identity, with zero trust, with SD-WAN, um, the things that we have programmed over the next six months to get more things uh, posted in the cloud at both the unclassified and secret level, uh, I think are really going to help because it is a lot easier to solve one problem with one app and do it in the cloud at the unclassified level than it is to enable the entire ecosystem to have agility to push to production without all of the roadblocks. And until we solve that, every single person is gonna be working way too hard. And so the good news is we know that's the problem. We've, tr we've done some good troubleshooting on the pipeline. We have good paths to authorization. We've largely automated uh, DT. We still have ways to go on OT. Um, and we've made some pretty good progress on what works uh, at the infrastructure level, including a lot of progress um, in uh, in testing edge nodes and and kind of doing more hybrid cloud um, solutions overseas. So that's that's all uh, really exciting stuff that is coming along. Mm -hmm. And I also I found myself getting a little bit ahead of my my questions here uh, to talk through your four pillars. This is we have to build this foundation, and then what else goes along with that uh, to help modernize our force? Um, the the first pillar is called the rock solid digital foundation, but but really all of it is about building the foundation for success in a digital enterprise. And so when I say the rock solid digital foundation, I mean we're we're rocking a twenty first century network. We're not talking about the network; it just works. Mm -hmm. We have connectivity. We can grab whatever signal we want. We can dynamically route it. If we lose connectivity, either permanently or for a period of time. I mean, permanently is hard, but you know, for a period of time that we can dynamically switch to a new signal. If we need to operate disconnected for a period of time, that's fine. As soon as we have our cloud connection back, we'll connect back in and uh, and, and dynamically update um, that we are that we are able to leverage DevSecOps um, and really that we are able to work in an agile manner to to have the foundation to build those capabilities rather than having to start from scratch. You know, first I'm gonna build a network and I'm gonna build my own cloud, I'm gonna build my own DevSecOps st stack and I'm gonna get it accredited and a year later I can write my first line of code and hope that I can get it into production one day. You know, we just, we we have to make sure that more and more people have just, just show up with the platform built and can start to do their work. And so when I talk about the Rock Solid Digital Foundation, you know, that that's really what I'm talking about. And and really the the vision there is, you know, we want to enable the business. We want to enable the mission. Um, whatever we're doing, we want people to accomplish the tasks that they are out to accomplish. And we don't want them to be waiting an hour and a half to get something to start. You know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's just there's just so much that we put put in the way of people. So um, and then on the mission side, and I do think this is achievable in the next five years, I want us to get to one war fighting domain um, and well, one war fighting environment, not domain. Um, where we can fight together with our joint partners and our allies. Uh, we just have, we have so many different environments and cross-domain solutions and different things, and and it, it's just way too complicated. One secret level warfighting network that works for all of those things where we can deploy software at the speed of need for our warfighters, 
where we can grab data dynamically, move data from anywhere to anywhere, leveraging whatever communications node we have. So that that is a rock solid digital foundation. Maybe after the five-year mark, we can collapse it into the unclassed domain too. We can collapse it in the top secret domain, but that might cause a holy war with uh, some of my former employers. Yeah. So, um, you know, but we'll we'll see. Um, but you know, but we are doing some some experimentation too with uh, with PACAF and um, and SecureView to see if we can push more um, unclassified and secret on the same device. You know, that, so with with zero trust, there's a lot of possibility to collapse domains. So. So rock solid digital foundation. The next pillar is user experience for warfighter effect. And that really comes down to giving people the tools they need to do their job and knowing how well we're doing. Um, and so over the past 18 months, we've been really censoring our network so that we can see at the glass what is broken and why and how broken or how good. And so um, we actually have uh, usability scores for all of our apps at this point. Um, and so I, I can tell you Digital U is one of our more, more usable applications. Um, fun fact, uh, this month, people have been watching a lot of ESPN. Yeah. I wonder why that would be, you know, <laughs> given that it's early March. Um, but we can see that you know ESPN is up. Usage on our network, ESPN is performing well. It's you know Maybe that's not something we should be proud of, but... Um, but but it is it is something that hit a very high usability score, which it should because it's a commercial site. Um, very very poor usability. Um, some of our some of our more traditional older business systems, um, and uh, and actually things like Adobe and Outlook have have pretty poor usability scores right now. Mm -hmm. um, and because we have seen that they have poor usability scores, we have pulled in Adobe and Microsoft to work with us directly to figure out exactly why. Um, because, you know, sh most of the time teams actually works pretty well, but Outlook is funky. It's the same company. It's the same network settings. Why is that? And so we have Microsoft engineers engaging with us to see that we were also, uh, able to see early in COVID, Hey, my email is so slow. When I send it, we looked into it. We were sending our email through 40 hops in the transactional path at the beginning of COVID. Now it's something like five a lot of places down to two certain places so just as we look into different things because we can see the data we can see where things are really hosed once we start digging it is pretty incredible what we find but because we saw hey this is a really big priority uh for instance mcafee and tanium are fighting each other on my endpoint to suck the entire life out of my machine's ability to perform airmen say that every day we can see to what ability they are right they're incredibly right and so then I can say, hey, ACC, as, as lead command and as the operators, I need you to focus on this. This is a priority. And if you fix this problem, which the engineers at McAfee and Tanium have said, hey, we're going to show up for free. We're going to help you fix this. This is how much we will improve our user experience for our airmen. So being able to see that data, identify root cause and fix it and pull people to the table and say, let me show you exactly how much this is going to fix our experience. That's been incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, the third part, enabling digital talent, we have a long way to go with taking care of, especially our digital workforce and a lot of ideas that are in process right now with um, how do we do promotions? How do we do incentives? Um, how do we recategorize certain things? Um, but one thing that I am really proud of that has gotten to a pretty good level of maturity is digital you. And so we now have over 30,000 daily users. I, I actually don't know how many people we have enrolled total, but but 30,000 daily users in that platform learning. And um, I asked our MIT Accelerator team uh, earlier today, hey, have you guys 
uh, done any, have you created a learning path in Digital U? Um, because they're all huge adopters um, of Digital U. We actually had one of our captains up at MIT basically outsmart a room full of um, AI PhDs and roll up to work one day and fix a neural network that had stymied them for four weeks because he was on Udacity learning about neural networks. Incredible. Right? That's insane. <laughs> They're like, who is this man? Um, so um, so that, was, that was pretty incredible. But because they have been using it, because people ask them all the time, so what do I need to know to get smarter on AI? How do I prepare myself for this future AI world? They are putting together a learning path in Digital U with all free content, and they will have their own like MIT accelerator badge for AI. Um, and they're able to do that free in Digital U, working with Bespin. And so the next time someone says, what do I need to know? They're going to say, hey, go do this learning path. And we're also working with A1 to make sure that when they earn that badge and they do that, earn, that learning path, that we're able to tie that back to the A1 system. So then in the future, when the secretary says, where are my AI airmen? They were able to say, hey, these guys, they're right here. This is what they did. So that's, um, you know, that's been pretty powerful. And um, I like that it it puts it in the hands of airmen and guardians, um, you know, because a lot of people, you know, are, are really hungry. Like if we don't teach you, you're going to go find it. But I don't want you to have to pay to find it. You know, we want to provide the capability. And I also want you to get credit for it. And I also want to be able to operationalize the data. I want to know how many people can code in Python. So, um, so that's been pretty exciting. And then the fourth one is trade space and practicality. Um, so our, the way that we fund IT, um, you guys probably knew before I did, that was the biggest surprise in this job. I was like, oh my Lord, how on earth are we surviving as an organization the way that we fund IT and digital anything in the mm -hmm. Department of the Air Force? And, and the, other, the other departments are much better. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild. I, I call it faith-based financing, um, where basically you just pray that the manna will fall from heaven in the fourth quarter, um, which, you know, maybe I should actually be a missionary, you know, and maybe I, maybe I catch more, more manna in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, but that, that's no way to run a business. Mm -hmm. And what it also means is that there is no possible way when you don't know how much will fall from the sky in the fourth quarter to manage every dollar as smartly as you could. You can't do that. It, mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's very reactive. It's where can I execute fastest, not where is it smartest to execute this dollar. Um, so we're, we're really trying to get very disciplined in the way that we look at spend. Um, one of our goals is to get to a 23 budget that works. Well, 23 will be close, 24 will be better. And a lot of that is because zero trust really pulls, um, pulls a lot of the IT principles into the mission realm and, and has very much gotten the attention of our A8 of Congress, um, as well as, you know, just our commercial sector writ large. So that's been very powerful, but, but that trade space period, uh, part of the, uh, pyramid, um, that's really about, um, ruthlessly attacking manual process, outdated policy and redundant IT. And so, um, I'll throw out a challenge to all of your listeners. Um, if you see something that, you know, is manual that we need to automate, um, would love to work with you on that. If you see policy that needs to be set on fire, um, you know, here, have your own flamethrower. Um, tell me what needs to emerge from the ashes if you see it, because you may see it better than I do. Um, and then, uh, you know, if we have things that are in the way, like on, on ITAS, on our risk reduction, we found daisy chained switches, like hiding in cabinets. We found all sorts of just really crazy stuff. And then vendors would show up and say, well, you know, if you turn this on, you can save $12 million, you know, for $5 million investment. If you are seeing really stupid things in our enterprise where we can invest some amount of money 
and save more and give you more capability, help us identify those opportunities and let's do it. Um, actually, when I was at AFA, um, you know, I talked about this and I also talked about um, how we want to adopt cloud faster because that, that's also a cost savings opportunity. We can stop killing our comm squadrons. We can save energy on bases and shut down some of our, our data centers. Um, and I had people coming up to me left and right with, um, with use cases. Hey, we've got 14 different unclassified networks on our base and it takes 100 people to maintain them. We sure would love to migrate that to the cloud. How do we do it? You know, so people people want to be part of the next generation of technology, um, but it just comes down to that type of partnership and finding the mechanism. Mm -hmm. I, I heard a really cool story about General Raymond learning how to code Python. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great representation of, you know, our most senior leaders leading from the front, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't get much more like, you know, intimate to the details as that, as being, yeah. you know, the first person to be certified in, in Python from Digital U, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Should, should I tell your listeners the story? Have they heard this story? You know, I don't think they have. So. Okay. <laughs> so um, so I love this story. Um, but uh, yeah, so General Raymond, and, and I did hear, he, he did share the story with me directly. And I don't remember if he was Colonel Raymond at the time or One Star Raymond, but he was out in PACAF. A tsunami had hit the nuclear power plants in Japan. And he was trying to figure out how to model uh, the, radioactive, the radioactive fallout so that they could prioritize their response um, in partnership with the Japanese government. And, uh, and Google volunteered to help. And, you know, and, and he, he just said, hey, Google, you know, we would really love to, to work with you. And good for him for calling Google. Um, and they basically said, yeah, we'd love to help you, but you're going to need four people that can code in Python. And General Raymond had never heard of Python before. He's like, all right, find me four airmen that can speak Python. <laughs> and um, and so uh, he's got his staff manually combing the, the globe for people that can code in Python. Where are the parcel tongues among us? And, um, you know, so we found four folks and sent a helicopter and, you know, and got them to where they needed to go. And then with Google, with Google they I think they wrote they wrote some code in a day and were able to solve the problem and it was you know pretty incredible and i i just heard that story and and i tell the story often for how we operationalize digital U. why do we need a general calling the entire world saying hey hey where are the python skills you know with digital U today if the secretary said where are the people that have this skill i can go into digital U. I can say you know a thousand people took the class these guys scored the highest um Hey, maybe maybe instead of just Python, maybe you also need some you know some data science or some visualization. Maybe you need those three things together. These are the top ten I'd I'd recommend based on that. Ooh, look, those four closest to Japan, you know. So and we could do that type of data today in digital U pretty quickly. Um, and so and and we can also leverage that to determine what our incentives should be. Maybe we need more Python coders, and we want to signal that up front. So, um, so it's a pretty incredible tool, and yeah, I'm glad you brought up that story because I, knowing that story, I was so proud when I saw that General Raymond was one of the very first people to take the Python course, and when he did, and that was four star Raymond at the time taking the Python course, a lot of the Space Force followed. Mm -hmm. You know, that was just incredible leadership modeling right there, um, and you know, even some of the GOs were like, "Oh man, if the four stars doing it, I better get a little bit smarter." <laughs> And that was probably the most powerful part of the whole thing. It's great to see that, you know, senior leaders are, are leaning forward, you know, into this technology and, and not just 
like understanding, you know, like the fundamental concepts, but like how to actually apply it, right? Yeah. And, and getting, you know, getting your hands dirty. I think that's, yeah. that's really, really cool. Something that ties into that, just to uh, dig into your, your first pillar, uh, you talked about uh, business capabilities and, and war fighting capabilities. You know, right now, logistics data is classified as business data alongside finance, alongside all of those other you know, business capabilities uh, and, and not next to war data. How do we make you know, logistics information war data and not business data? So from a policy standpoint, I have no idea. Yeah. But from a practical <laughs> standpoint, um, from a practical standpoint, the, the line is getting more blurred and should be getting more blurred. Uh, because really, if we're if we're designing our data structures correctly, and if we're designing our software correctly, we're grabbing the data that we need wherever it comes from. And a lot of logistics data, of course, I mean it's there 100% to support the to support the fight. Same thing with some of our A1 data. You know, it's like it's there for readiness. So I mean, those two especially, um, it gets pretty close to the fight pretty fast. So um, I think it's less about maybe like kind of classifying it. You know, I'm happy to start calling it war fighting data just, you know, just to prove a point and back you guys up. Um, Please. <laughs> yeah, but um, it really comes down to just making sure that it's available to the fight. Um, and uh, I mean, the good news is APIs are cheap and we can pull unclassified data pretty easily into our, our data platforms. Um, and so and that's and that's just. You know, that's an analysis effort. What mm -hmm. data do we need where? Yep. So yeah, good stuff. So right now, we are providing organic capabilities. You know, to Airman, like you see, you see Tron. I mean, you even see units like the 309th Swag. Um, yeah. Software Engineering Group, for those who don't know the acronym, and uh, we've been working with a team called Asgard, right? On you know. Nice. Uh, how do we leverage that talent? Like, you know, how do we how do we pull them from you know being like I'm I'm a machinist and a welder by trade, right? How do you plug someone that is an expert in software or an expert in coding or wh wh however you want to frame it, and plug them to a place where it matters? Yeah. So I will tell you, um, we we talk about this problem a lot at the senior leadership level. This is something that the chief is very passionate about. Um, I think you guys on Tesseract have been a have done a, a pretty good job infiltrating the bureaucracy. Um, I think when I first heard about you guys, uh, you were supposed to be an innovation organization in Georgia, and now you've taken over a three letter in the Pentagon. Like very well done. That is, you know, it's like we we totally need to uh, to do that more often. And uh, it's 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 incredible to see how much the A4 is listening to you guys, how much you're uniting the logistics and maintenance community to bring their ideas forward and tying that to like the PPBE process, you know, which most innovators don't have to think, luckily don't have to think about, oh, my idea and how do I tie it into all of these processes to make it real and get it into the palm. You guys are, are helping to make sure that it does get into the formal process and that it can be real. And that's, that's incredible. And um, we need more people uh, definitely in the in the headquarters stuff that think like you guys. So so definitely thank you for what you're doing. Um, as far as how how do we leverage the airmen? So um, I'll share a couple of enterprise efforts that that we have going on to try to enable airmen. Um, a couple of organizations that I that I respect too. You mentioned Tron. 
Um, I, don't, I don't know if we talked about Airman Coders, but um, so much respect for those two organizations, just bringing people together, um, having pretty incredible successes through just their internship programs. Um, I love how we have pulled off in the Air Force. We're like, hey, units, does someone want to do a 90-day TDY to Kessel Run? You know, you get you get free labor, you get free training. It's a win-win. Same with the uh, with the Airman Coders internships. They went out, they worked with the Platform One team, and within a week or two, they were deploying code to production to solve Air Force problems. That's exactly what we want to have happen. And as we bring the software development community more and more together on Cloud One and Platform One, um, and and I don't even mean Cloud One and Platform One as they are today. I mean Cloud One and Platform One as they continue to evolve, as we all do those things together, as we all bring new requirements into the conversation. Um, we're going to get to a point where we truly can do intersource development. Um, in addition to open source development, it's happening today. We have the capability today to share our code through a common Git repo. Um, we have the capability today to have airmen in one unit say, oh, those guys over there, they developed an app that I want to be involved in. Let me write code in their app rather than starting my own. And the more that we kind of look across the community and use those common services and make those common services better, and also bring cash to the table um, to help with those, rather than spending that cash to start from you know ground zero and, and build it all the way up, um, I, I think we're going to really be be cooking with gas at that point. But but a couple of the things that we're doing right now, um, and I have been chatting with the Spark Cell guys too. How do we make sure that low code, no code is just ubiquitous? And how do we do it in a way that doesn't like also scare all of the senior leaders who immediately be like, wait a minute. We're going to be coding everywhere. We're going to have, you know, apps out our eyeballs, you know, and, and we're not going to be collaborating across lines. Well, that could be true. But if you figure it out in a way where you can enable airmen with low code, no code, but you can also have uh, do it based on real mission data source of record, um, then you're really enabling people and, and encouraging people to share. And, and especially if you are doing it via a common approved platform where people know, oh, You've already done the work. I can leverage your application. I can leverage the same data set. Then you're bringing people together rather than you know just firing different bizarre flames. But um, but we are looking at an open source option for low code, no code to be deployed in Cloud One. Um, I know Affworks is um, doing some final polling uh, and and uh, a little bit of a bake off uh, pulling in the academy on which open source offering do we want to have in Cloud One. And Airmen today have Power Apps in Office 365, which is paid for by the enterprise. And I know folks on my staff have gone in and written like very simple apps, done simple automations, and it's actually pretty exciting. I, I don't know if you know there's a Kanban. Did you know there's a Kanban feature paid for for mm -hmm. you in Office 365? I didn't know that. There is a free Kanban feature. It is paid for. <laughs> you can go in, you know, get your Kanban on. Um, you know, there are actually some pretty incredible features in in our our boring enterprise office suite. You know. It's, Way less boring than it used to be, um, but that's you know that's all happening today. And um, for for now, and um, and I I believe at least for the next couple of years we've committed to this. We also have um, the Envision platform, which is based on Palantir, where you can do low code, no code uh, in the Palantir platform, and it is paid for today. Um, so that's another another way to jump in. And then we also have uh, UiPath through the RPA Center of Excellence. Did you know we had an RPA Center of Excellence? You know, I did not know that either, ma'am. All right. Yeah. So um, it's it's also down at Bespin. Um, and people can submit business cases 
Um, there is a small number of free licenses um, for really tough, you know, really solid business cases where, hey, I want to deploy bots to do X um, and where you can kind of get that going. And airmen can teach themselves uh, with free training to go deploy their own bots. And then if you have more difficult uh, problem sets that, that need some development support, then, you know, we, we do have to ask for cash for that. But, um, but we have folks that are pushing that today. And we, we've seen some pretty incredible results. Um, we're actually looking right now at how we can leverage some automation for um, getting up to date on some of our um, case files that we've fallen behind on. Um, and our, our case managers have to log into eight different databases and check all of this stuff. And so now they have a bot that can bring all of their information. They don't have to log into eight different places. And so they can focus on making a decision based on the data presented, not having to log into eight different things and you know, file three TPS reports and, you mm -hmm. know, and then they can finally do something really important that if they don't do it on time, someone could actually have a safety issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, once I have to do a quick timeout here because my computer is about to die and I forgot to plug it in. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to... Uh, we can keep this on the record. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to tell me that it was crashing no, and well. that you need me to fix your computer. <laughs> Well, that's, I love how you bring that up. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't fix, I forgot to plug it in. Um, that, that part, you know, we gotta, we gotta put some things onto the users. It's the definition of user error right here. Yeah. I have wetware problems all the time. <laughs> I cannot believe I forgot to do that. So, you know, speaking of, you know, fix our computers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as a frontline maintainer, you know, I, I certainly have felt that I come to work with, you know, better technology in my pocket than I do sitting on my desk, Yeah. you know, in, in the shop break room. If you want to talk to us a little bit about how like all that unfolded, I think everyone in the DOD is familiar with, uh, yeah. <laughs> with that one particular post at this point, but uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, behind the scenes, how all of that transpired. Yeah, sure. And uh, so I'll, I'll chat about fix my computer. I want to come back to that iPhone in your pocket too, and and why sometimes that is way more powerful than a lot of your your mission tools. But um, but yeah, with fix my computer, I, I probably read the initial post around the time everybody did, and I remember I was on my way to a meeting at the time actually, and I got into my car, and I I looked at my phone and I was like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually sat in my car. And I took 15 minutes to respond right away because I thought that that was one of those things where like, all right, let, you know, just 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 respond to it. And so I think I think what I said was something along the lines of like, first of all, like virtual hug, because, yes, you were so right. And it's it's ridiculous. Um, part of the argument was, yeah, we got to really fund this. And I was just like, amen, um, because that is unfortunately a fight that we have to fight maybe a little bit too hard uh, to to make sure that we are funding basic foundational things uh, in the Department of Defense in general. Um, I will say that um, just through, we have some great leaders right now who have fought to change our POM process such that uh, IT and foundational capabilities used to have to fight with, you know, cyber and other things that are way sexier than, you know, here's a new laptop. Um, we'd have to fight with those types of capabilities to to justify funds. And so the Air Force has made a, a the department has made a strategic decision to say, we're not going to put those things up against each other anymore. We are going to fund our foundational capabilities. And so 
in 23 and 24, we'll see how that comes together. So, so that, you know, for, for the rank and file innovators out there, you're probably like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> for the Pentagon audience, that's a really big deal to mm-hmm. add a new panel. Um, and, it, and it shows that our leaders care about leveraging those bureaucratic processes to get to an outcome that they are hoping will make a difference for our airmen and guardians. So, so that was great to see. Um, but what we what we are getting after with Fix My Computer, there are a couple of lines of effort um, that directly relate to it. And I'm actually briefing the secretary on this today because um, I actually got a, a note from the secretary almost immediately saying, hey, I read the article. I appreciated the way that you responded. And I want to know exactly what the roadmap is and where I can help um, because he he cares about this, too. And, and he's you know, he's a he's got a, a strong business background as well. He sees, you know, like if if it takes you an hour to get into Outlook, what did you not get done during that hour? You know, it's it's just absolutely not okay mm-hmm. um, the way the way that we we do some of this. But so from my perch, you know, what we've done is we've looked at our user experience data. We've seen definitively that actually fixing the endpoint does fix the vast majority of issues. And so if I ask someone who's got one of those lovely spinning disks, um, probably your average user experience score is going to be somewhere around 40 percent which is which is horrible like you know mm-hmm. it's like here's my resignation um so you know <laughs> it, it's just very bad um if we hand someone a laptop with a solid state drive their user experience score just from that one thing goes up to somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 percent on average just just for giving you a solid state drive um we looked into that, and actually at 70%, you know, no corporation actually likes their in-house IT support. So that's actually a little bit closer to industry standards. You know, it sounds it sounds low. It's not great. We want it to be better, but it's, mm-hmm. it's starting to get respectable at that point. Is that net promoter score, or is that just user experience percentage? It's a user experience percentage because, you know, with us, we don't have, like, bad reviews that put us out of business. Yeah. We should. Mm-hmm. We should. But um, but it, think about it as, as similar to that, but on a scale of 1 to 100, mm-hmm. you know, going from about 40 to about 70 is mm-hmm. – it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, with a lot of – a lot of uh, the data was so compelling that I, I was kind of looking at it like, wait, I actually don't know if our network's the problem anymore. It was that compelling. Our network is also the problem, but um, but we can we can look at different things like how we do Active Directory, doing mm-hmm. forty hops to send an email, which which we fixed. Um, how we were doing different types of gateways, we were able to point to specific things, some of which we fixed, and some of which are now um, in the queue. But the the first thing that uh, ACC was uh, tasked to fix uh, a little while ago, but reinvigorated uh, recently was the whole fighting between McAfee and Tanium. Because we've all seen this happen for years now, and it's absolutely not okay. And it's part of the reason why we have to buy better laptops. Um, so, I mean, it's 2022. Spinning disk is not okay, period, end story. But it's especially not okay if you're asking it to to deal with at least three different endpoint solutions. So, so simplify the endpoint solution. That's another thing we're doing. Um, and then cutting through... Uh, some of the known backlogs on the network side. Um, and then the long-term plan, um, we we hope any day we'll be able to release ITAS Wave 1. And ITAS Wave 1 will allow us to do some very basic, boring things that will actually bring us the discipline. We need to be really good at things where most of the world is already pretty good. Things like having one central IT service management platform where if you need help, you can you know talk to the chat bot, chat with a real person, call somebody, get a response right away. 
You need to order a laptop. Okay, do you want a Chromebook? You want a MacBook? You know, you want a Windows machine? You know, here are the comparative specs and costs. Um, you know, here two days later it shows up. It's like, hey, here is your newly welcome to your new machine. Um, and just completely simplifying the service, being able to purchase BYOAD or a or a virtual desktop in a really easy, consumable way, um, and bringing and and really that that central IT store concept that comes with Wave One. Um, I actually think that'll solve a lot of problems in our innovation community too, because right now people don't always know what's even available to them. Mm-hmm. But yeah. once we have like a decent, readable, simply put central store where you can see what's available to you. You can see, for instance, you know, for platform one, ooh, do I want party bus or do I want big bang? <laughs> well, you know, you don't want to have to have 10 meetings to figure out what you want. You know, where where's the engine that helps you determine that? Where's where's the language? How much does it cost? How much is it going to cost you to do the thing that you need to do? And how much transparency is that is there in that upfront? And so those are all things that will be enabled, we expect, through wave one. We have to see you know, who bids what and what the pricing is and what we can afford to exercise the orders. But I expect we'll be able to do all of those things within our budget, and that is, that is exciting. Now, one thing it won't fix um, that we still have to fix is the way we fund IT. Um, because even with those great processes, that kills a lot of kind of the, you know, the headwinds in our process. But as of today, the Magicons are still going to have to buy their laptops. They're still going to have to buy their endpoints. We still have not centrally funded any of that. And there's some good arguments against doing it because if it's centrally funded, everybody's just going to say, oh, send me everything, uh, which we which we legitimately can't afford. But we do have to find a way to um, make sure that the Magicoms are adequately funded to meet their refresh requirements and that we as an enterprise are giving people the, the tools they need to do their jobs and that we are internalizing it every day that an hour wasted getting into something because we didn't replace a spinning disk with a solid state drive, something that dumb, that we wasted an hour or more a day of many, many airmen's time when we're, you know, we're in conflict and we, we need them to be doing other things. Like we should be, we should be ashamed of ourselves every day until we fix that problem. And um, just, I mean, the way we fund things in the DOD, it's been a problem for a really long time. I'm probably not going to see a full resolution of it, you know, in my tenure, but I'm going to push it really hard. And I think we have the right people looking at it right now to get closer and closer. And there's some cultural things there, too, that we have to be aware of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. You know, you mentioned, you know, having like a store, right, of apps and user experience. Wouldn't it be cool if all of our systems had a rating, like a five-star rating, right? You know, and I think we all know the ones that would be like a half star or a star, right? Yeah. But how much that would, you know, hold the quality of our, our systems accountable as well, right? Yeah. Um, I just think that, you know, the whole concept that you were that you were talking about was fantastic. Um, so we are working on that. So right cool. now we have deployed Eternity um, to give you that at, at the glass uh, user experience monitoring. Um, but we're working on getting Matomo deployed. Um, and it's already been deployed small scale, but that'll give us a score for any application that that touches it. And actually, the NGA pushed out policy recently saying, hey, if you have an app, it has to actually include Matomo. It ha- Matomo has to be able to see it. So um, and that gives you a usability score for everything that you do. Like even without somebody saying, oh, this app sucks, like the software will say 
yeah, this is this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have then the hard work of figuring out, you know, what gets fixed, what goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, do people actually are, are people responsible and, and holding each other accountable for those types of scores? Mm-hmm. You know, so we have some we have some some cultural and funding issues there, too, even when we have the information at our fingertips. Mm hmm. Uh, I think our apps that we're working with the 309 Swag on uh, Athena and Kronos would be five star apps. Just just plug in that. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> if, but you know what? If you want to know, we can have our user experience, our, our chief experience officer, give you guys a score. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, let's make that happen. Yeah, we can totally do it. Um, I can tell you. Do you remember? Was it Afims, the one where uh, it went viral? The hands of a surgeon. Did you guys see that one? Um, it was a great meme and actually chief bass sent it to me. Um, (laughs) chief bass sends me outstanding, uh, outstanding memes, but, but this one, it was, uh, this, this airman basically saying, Hey, for my medical school interview, you know, I said, I have the hands of a surgeon because I can go into AFIMS and I can go through all of those seven lines of windows without losing the bubble. (laughs) And that was so ridiculous that it got chief bass's attention. It got general Brown's attention. And, um, and that actually led to enough public shaming that, uh, that that application was updated really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we had two different components racing each other to update it faster. Um, and it cost almost no money. It was deployed pretty quickly. People are pretty happy with it. And so that original score was just in the toilet. Mm-hmm. And the new score for the new app is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, so we can do it. When we prioritize it, I'll continue to stand on my soapbox that part of the reason your the iPhone in your pocket, you know, brings you more capabilities that there has been intense focus and billions and billions and billions of dollars in focused investment by best in class businesses to bring that to your pocket mm-hmm. um, and to royally disrupt other humongous markets across the world. And um, until we centrally do that with focus and funding in the department, we're going to lag behind, mm-hmm. you know, just just hard stop. Um, but, uh, but BYOED, um, funny enough, I ran into an airman that I greatly respect, uh, at AFA who mentioned, Hey, I, I just had this most incredible internship at this, at at this large commercial household name. And can I tell you, I could do all of my work on my personal phone. It was so wonderful. I could get my email, (laughs) I could get the collaboration tools. And, um, and I was, I was a little bit saddened, uh, because, this is someone who is normally very, very well connected. I was just like, oh my goodness, we, you know we have that in the Air Force, right? Um, and this doesn't solve the problem that you raised about having the capability in your, in, you know, all in your iPhone. But we sometimes have more capability than we realize, and we don't always take advantage of the capabilities that we have. So, so on my personal iPhone today, I can get to my email, I can get to my calendar, um, I can get to Teams, I can walk the e-ring on a team's call and transition <laughs> to my office. Um, it, you know, it, it's actually pretty powerful, um, the BYOAD capability. Um, the team is working on getting the cost back down to around 20 bucks a month in the very immediate term with a target of five to 10 bucks a month in the long term. Uh, we're also working with Microsoft on how can we scale this? How can we, uh, how can we just give this to the 250,000 users that use CVR during the pandemic? Um, and so we're working on that. And then also just how do we make it more consumable until I can completely democratize it? How do I make it so that a unit can swipe a GPC and just get the service? You know, because mm-hmm. right now we're still using MIPPERS. I mean, it's just like the mechanism to get it is terrible, but the capability is awesome. 
That happens a lot, unfortunately. That's part of why we can't scale because we don't make things consumable even when we bring them in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm actually challenging more commercial companies to think of us like a mall. You know, it's like the days of us building out your space for you, we're done. We're not going to help you bring your product to market. You come, do your build out. We want to have you in the mall. You make the investment. Maybe people love your product. Maybe they don't. But at least you're in the mall. You have a storefront. You invested in it. And your product has come to market and is more consumable. So I want to see more of that, um, you know, as we drive forward. But but great uh, capability. If people are frustrated not being able to work anytime, anywhere, I hope you'll look at the BYOAD program. Um, and uh, I think as far as, you know, more capability on your smartphone than in, in some of our, our mission systems, the big gap there is the rest of the world went to the cloud, like, almost like. I don't know, 15 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm losing track of time. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been in the cloud for four and we are leading the DOD. Mm-hmm. So so that's really scary. So so our most seasoned person has four years of, of cloud experience. And the vast majority of our warfighting enterprise is nowhere near the cloud. You mm-hmm. don't get any of that agility. You don't get any of that fast path to production until you adopt those technologies. So we're still pushing really hard to adopt those foundational capabilities because those foundational capabilities, they open, you know, the rocket fire of innovation for every single thing that comes on top of it. So um, so I guess um, if any of your innovators want to um, step away from the, the cool stuff where you can see the result tomorrow and, and jump into the trenches for the stuff that, you know, it happened 15 years ago, but until we get it right, mm-hmm. we're not going to be as fast as we want on those things. Come on into the trenches with me. You know, we'll we'll take all the help we can get. Great stuff. And <laughs> looking at you know the bring your own device, um, you know that works for, let's say you're in an office space, right? Like you're you know you, you mentioned walk around the ring and then jump on back on your computer. Yeah, as a as a maintainer, you know I have a clunky radio that I'm carrying around. You know when I'm working on a jet and I have to call back for another part. You know, it'd be so much easier if I can just send an iMessage, message, right? Just yeah. say hey. Can you can you send me a hammer? Right? Yeah. Um, it'd be nice if we had that that same functionality yeah. everywhere. To your point, like in yeah. all the weapon systems and all you know uh, jobs, AFSC's capabilities. I do want to say, uh, I mean, this is a workaround, but um, you know, if you don't have Teams on your phone, Signal is approved, mm-hmm. so you can you can use Signal. Um, and uh, but if you do have BYOED approved, you can use Power Apps to probably do that automation that you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're coming up with better solutions in <laughs> partnership with you right now, mm-hmm. but there are things that you can do just very easily kind of on the messaging messaging front or create new new capabilities, leveraging tools that you already have kind of at your disposal mm-hmm. today. So, and actually I would love, I would love to hear how people are utilizing those and, and kind of where we're having success stories and maybe how we can do a better job of getting the word out about what hit products are out today that are not leveraged as much as they probably should be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good stuff. It, um, so to wrap up this conversation, uh, I guess kind of on a, on a serious note, we we see talent around us. You know, we, we have the most educated force. We have the, you know, just most brilliant core of service members right now in the Department of Defense as a whole. How do we help retain that talent to keep it within the department of defense instead of you know watching them walk away and then paying them 10 times as much right yeah (laughs) to solve the same problems um how do you 
help people get back to that to that vision and to that purpose and to that you know that that sense of belonging right yeah um so i mean I, you hit it there at the end you know all of the data says it's not about the money it is about being able to exercise one's craft for problems that matter mm-hmm. and if you are writing software that you see immediately used at an AOC, um, if you are solving problems where you can see the tangible output of your work every day, those are not the airmen that are leaving. Um, but but people are also impatient, as they should be, uh, because we take too long to do anything. And I, I recently uh, chatted with an incredible high-powered person who actually is in a pretty key uh, job um, that we need. And he's leaving because even though that was probably one of the efforts that we have funded faster than anything else, we cannot pat ourselves on the back when we go 18 months from pilot to POM. Mm-hmm. In DOD time, that's like, holy crap, how did you go 18 months from pilot to POM? That's amazing. Take a bow. Mm-hmm. But there should be no bow taken. That is just how it should work. It should be faster than that. We should be able to ramp things up. And with this, and I'm talking about zero trust. I'll just I'll just say it. We're, yeah. we're talking about zero trust. We were very fast, but we had an incredibly talented lead who he he couldn't get his pilots going fast enough because we've been in a continuing resolution, you know, th- this whole time. And you know, you can't move your execution money around to do really important things when you have a continuing resolution for half the year. Mm-hmm. So um, so things like that just get in the way of folks. You know, death by a thousand paper cuts. Everything that seemed easy becomes hard. And so when people can't see the product of their work, when people start to doubt whether this is the place where their talents are best used, that is when people leave. Um, the incentive programs help um, in making people feel valued. Um, I've gotten direct feedback that actually Digital U has helped too, that, that people felt that Someone had invested in them, that they had a chance to upskill, that they were able to better find a community um, to practice their craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only the only downside is um, so and, and I think this is getting a little bit better in most places. But in the DOD, there are sometimes a lot of times innovation is something that happens over there. And again, you know, I said at the beginning, you can solve a problem in a place. But people don't want to just solve it in that one place. They want to solve it at scale. That takes actually coming back in and infiltrating the the bureaucracy, which is why, you know, I love I love where you guys are positioned. But we have to get the innovators working with bureaucrats, teaching each other and pushing things through together. And and I'll also just say that um, if there are any idle hands out there, um, you know, let's Let's do some stuff together. Um, I have more things that I want to get done than I have hands to do it. I need the, you know, the rebel airmen to push some of these across the line. Um, I, I will I will share in that same breath, though. We have lots of ideas in the Air Force. Um, and so a lot of times it's not about, like, is it the best idea or did I come up with the best idea? It's have we come up with a way to actually implement that idea like, are there things that we can shut down so that we can fund that idea? Are there contract mechanisms we can put in place? Are there are there action officers that will really roll up their sleeves and do the work? Um, and so, so that's where you know that's where we can really get things moving. So I'll, I'll put that out uh, to your community too. Let's do some stuff together. Awesome, and I like how you said Rebel Airmen. It's like the Rebel Alliance from Star Wars. Maybe you know we don't we don't talk about that on on you know on the podcast, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> 
All right, so um, let's get into some fun rapid fire questions. Okay. If I was an Avenger, I would be blank. Well, since since Wonder Woman is DC Comics, you know, we got to go Captain Marvel. Um, yeah, although she was kind of so awesome. The other guys didn't even need to show up at the end of uh, at that last uh, <laughs> that last one. She was pretty great. My favorite. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I got to tell you, too. But uh, so I have a I know General Brown's a spider fan. Mm-hmm. Um, my six year old wants to be Spider-Man when she grows up. But the new Spider-Man, Miles, because he has cooler powers. So, <laughs> so we're a so we're a a superhero family. I'm a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. You know, age, okay. Right? You're the <laughs> yeah. You're the the yeah. Yeah. The original the original Peter Parker Spider-Man. We got we got you. <laughs> My favorite musical instrument is blank. So I actually am a musician. And Very I, cool. I, I love to uh, I love to play piano and sax, um, and. I don't know. I love to listen to pretty much any instrument as long as it's played well. Can you do both at the same time? I would probably need <laughs> someone to, you know, I probably need someone to hold the instrument for me, you know. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Okay, that was that was a quick one. <laughs> Star Trek or Star Wars? I started out on Star Trek, but I have I have moved much more Star Wars just because there's more content these days, but you can't leave out space balls. Mm-hmm. Can't leave it out. No. So, I do the last three movies, and then like, do the newest six movies count as part of the, the series? No. <laughs> <laughs> but we can count the Mandalorian. That's okay. So I'm on vacation with my family. I'm going to blank. I'm either skiing, cruising, or running around uh, some part of the world where we have family which is is a lot of them you know we yeah like all over the country or all over the world no i'm probably someplace overseas yeah. oh, okay yeah, we have we have family in new zealand and oh wow europe um so we're, we're probably doing so i don't know european road trip or something like that that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> my favorite indiana jones movie is blank last crusade or anything other than the Crystal Skull. Yeah. <laughs> and they're coming out with a fifth one. Not Crystal Skull. Though. Not No, like another oh, one. Okay. Like, okay. probably going to be even worse. Oh, but, no. Yeah. I see, hope not. See, same story as, like, Star Wars, like, the fourth one doesn't count. And yeah. the fifth one's still not going to count. Although, I got to say, okay, so Matrix loved the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, end of the third movie, I wanted my money back on the, la- <laughs> on the latest two. But the new Matrix, I haven't seen it yet, but it looks like a chance for a vindication. So, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but I haven't. You know, I, have not. I, I might I might have to check that out too. <laughs> and my superpower is blank. These days, uh these days I think it's empathy. Um I, I can only say that probably since being a mom, but I think I'm better uh pretty good at reading rooms, pretty good at trying to cut through to what people really need. And, um, you know, and trying to meet those needs. Um, And, uh, I don't know, usually problem solving, coming up with some sort of uh, just out-of-the-box solution to a weird problem. Very cool. That's an important skill set to have in this bureaucracy. It is. I'm I'm also really good at Mario Kart, you know. Okay, that that is a superpower. (laughs) (laughs) So who's your favorite character? Uh, I always write as Toad. So, Toad 
yeah. So Toad actually is my all-time favorite character. <laughs> but sometimes if we're talking like N64, we'll do a little Wario action. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can respect that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything that we didn't cover that you want to uh, hammer home? We covered some pretty good topics. We did. We we, we really did. Um, really, I'll just I'll just throw back out that um, you know for for your for your listeners, um, I want to share. I'm really passionate about your problem set. That's why I'm doing this. You know, for the period of time that I'm doing it, um, the problem space is. I mean, it is a it is a ripe environment. Um, and even at my level, there are some pretty crazy challenges, um, you know, funding being being one of the toughest ones. So um, just any way that people can help with any aspect of how we can increase velocity um, or help me get the message out or help to solve any of these problems. Um, you know, if if you're passionate about solving a space and it's in my authority level, like I am happy to be like here have the authority, go solve the problem. Um, you know, let's get after this because I, I think I shared with you earlier that there are so many problems to go after. I don't have the action officers to go after like anywhere near as many as I would like to do, but many hands make light work. And I know that we have airmen out there that, you know, they're not feeling fulfilled right now and they, they want to be solving problems where they can make an impact. And so um, I'd love to partner with you guys on how we can do that consistently and go after really big problems and and just solve them end to end. Um, so, you know, I and, and I hear uh, I guess I'll, I'll close with one of my favorite Elon Musk uh, analogies. <laughs> you know, this stuff is hard, but every time someone tells me, oh, yeah, that's hard. I don't know if it'll work. I think about Elon and the electric cars and, you know, how Tesla came back from decades of big auto manufacturers buying out an electric car the second that they showed up on the market, um, just kind of just leaving them out. So having the fortitude to stick around, getting through ugly, you know, electric cars being ugly and slow and designing an awesome, you know, an awesome design, um, building out a global supercharger network to get people past range anxiety, then being like, oh, well, we don't have enough batteries. Let's completely upend the battery market. Oh, well, we don't have connectivity everywhere. Oh, well, let's create a low earth orbit communication mechanism to talk to all of our cars and people can't drive. So let's make them self-driving and traffic <laughs> is terrible. So we'll create the boring company and we will just, you know, tunnel under Los Angeles. So, you know, just looking at all of the different problems that were solved to bring electric cars to market. And, you know, the same guys also, of course, you know, launching rockets. So, you know, it's like, hey, you know, let's just let's just go to Mars, you know, after all of this. Big problems can be solved with the right focus, with the right people coming to the table if they're important enough. And if if we can have, you know, just really smart people solve problems like that, surely we've got to be able to to fix our infrastructure and to to push software um, very quickly to our war fighters who are putting their lives on the line every day to protect this country. Ms. Knossenberger, thank you so much for joining us today. I really All appreciate right. your time. Thank you. It's great to see you guys. Tower, this is Eagle 1, requesting a flyby. Negative Eagle 1, the pattern is full. 
Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseractaf.com.